So, Richard, we were supposed to record this podcast a couple of hours ago, but we had to delay, didn't we, because of some pretty extraordinary, extraordinary events outside Downing Street. That lectern was brought out, a bit like Vecna's clock in Stranger Things. And when you know when the lectern comes out of number 10 Downing Street, you know there's a pretty seismic announcement that's going to be made. Liz- Particularly when the Prime Minister comes out with her partner. Yes, exactly. She came out with her husband. coming out on her own. Yeah, you know it's you know it's curtains when 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 that starts to happen. Here's what Liz Truss said. I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent. And our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This morning I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. This will ensure that we remain on a path to deliver our fiscal plans and maintain our country's economic stability and national security. I will remain as Prime Minister until a successor has been chosen. Thank you. You're listening to The One Decision podcast. I'm your host, Julia McFarlane. I'm joined by my co-host, Sir Richard Dearlove. Richard, we just watched a pretty extraordinary statement outside Number 10 Downing Street from the currently incumbent Prime Minister Liz Truss. What was your immediate reaction to hearing what she had to say? I think my immediate reaction was relief that we were not made (laughs) to wait longer and that uh, she was relatively quickly and easily persuaded that her position is untenable and that she had to stand down. Uh, I think, obviously, for her and her supporters, it's a seminal and very difficult moment. But on the other hand, the statement says it reasonably clearly. She can't deliver the mandate on which she was elected. So she really had no reason to stay in office. And I suppose the other point which is so uh, crucial now is what happens next. So it looks as though there is going to be an election, a parliamentary election, MPs, for a successor, and that we're not going to face a general election, which to me is no surprise. The Conservative Party clearly do not want a general election. Certainly not if you look at where they currently stand in the polls, uh, dozens of points behind the opposition Labour Party. You said that you felt relief at hearing what Liz Truss had to say, and you mentioned her supporters. I hope you don't mind if I dob you in uh, as being one of those supporters. You voted for Liz Truss. I I'm not a Conservative Party member, so I didn't actually personally vote for her. But I would have voted for her had I been a Conservative Party member. 
not uh, for any other reason that I believe that the growth policy mm. is probably the correct route for any government to go down. And interestingly, if you listen carefully to what Starmer's saying about uh, Labour Party policy, there's an implication that they support a growth policy, probably by different means, with more sort of government capital expenditure, mm. rather than trying to energise the market. Well, well, I do want to look at where Liz Truss's grand economic plans all, all went wrong. But I, I, I just want to just linger a little more on on the instability and the chaos of this of this week. And you're right. You say that she swiftly put an end to the speculation about whether she would stand down as increasing numbers of her own MPs have publicly said her position is untenable and called for her resignation. Swift in that she's only been in power for just over a month, but there has been an awful lot that's happened in this in this month. And perhaps it's just because the chaos of the last few weeks and particularly what happened yesterday in the House of Commons after what initially seemed to be quite a positive day for Liz Truss, having had a difficult week so far, having had a lot of criticism for a bizarre statement she gave early in the week for not being present for Labour's urgent question in the House of Commons on Tuesday. She has now come out and, and made the statement. She said that she will stand down. She will stand aside for a new leader. But only after having, a so to speak, a metaphorical gun held to her head by her party. And she was meeting the chairman of the 1922 committee, which is this very powerful group of conservative party members. She met the chair of of that group earlier today and it's very what we don't know but we one can expect that he perhaps said to her that the writing was on the wall this has been such a turbulent administration and we've seen how the markets have responded and and the UK has gone from being a safe haven for investors to one that looks a bit more like an emerging country and that's that's uh that's a picture that's been painted by international observers and and and, and experts how damaging has this been for for the uk well it's been very damaging in the short term for the uk's reputation um i mean damaging for the conservative party which has this uh, a reputation for responsibility in handling the economy but you know if the world suddenly turns round and the markets in effect are saying we think your chief financial officer is a waste of space mm. uh, and they start heavily selling discounted shares in UK PLC mm. which is effectively what happened you know you're in deep trouble um, so I mean it is the judgment of the markets ultimately more than anything else, uh, and the, the impact on the, the financial institutions that are so linked to government-related investments like the pension funds that cause suddenly your credibility to fall away and evaporate. And I, that's really what happened. I, I, I think once Kwasi Kwarteng had had to resign, uh, there was really no 
hope or going back. I think Liz Truss as a prime minister has a rather dogged determination. I don't think she necessarily takes much notice of what people are saying. Mm. She was heading straight on and straight down. You you point to the markets as being very, very instrumental to the piling on of pressure on Liz Truss. But it hasn't just been the markets. It's also been a growing number of people in Parliament, in her party, in the public eye, commentators, journalists, activists, campaigners, taking umbrage with the optics of her economic plan, which was slashing taxes for for the wealthiest and 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 not doing enough to support families who are really, really struggling. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you entirely. But I think that the way it's played out is a reflection of the fact that, you know, she was elected by the party membership, which mm. I think leans pretty heavily to the right. Mm. If you look at the composition of the MPs that, you know, make up, the the the, commun- uh, the the conservative block. Careful, <laughs> that's Richard. A, that's uh, a revealing Freudian that's a, that's slip. A, that's there. a Freudian <laughs> slip. Um, they're they're much more centrist, um, and uh, they, they there are an awful lot of conservative MPs who would see themselves as the sort of compassionate conservatives with a social conscience. Well, that's what Jeremy Hunt said. Yeah. He, he, in, in his statement, he said, we are a compassionate conservative. Yeah, and there's always been this significant block within the Conservative Party that has a strong social justice, social fairness agenda. Mm. Uh, that's you know a very centrist group, but it's still a very significant group, and I think that we all understand that if the leadership election had been the MPs, mm. almost certainly Liz Truss wouldn't have been the elected leader. It would have been, well, it probably would have been Rishi Sunak, but not necessarily, and it would have been someone who who had a more conventional view of what the economic options were for a new government. Yeah, and I think a lot of international watchers might be looking at our parliamentary political system and being quite confused at our our strange way of of doing things. And you rightly point out that having a process where it is party members who ultimately decide who gets crowned leader – uh, is is obviously going to be influenced by the fact that with the Conservative Party, the membership tend to lean very right. But that's usually counterbalanced by the fact that the the parliamentary party, the MPs, they decide amongst themselves who makes it to the final two. So there is that kind of ca- counterbalance. In- but if you're sitting in the House of Parliament dealing with a lot of social issues... Mm during a period of high inflation, mm. you're going to be much more attuned to the, 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 the problems generally across the electorate than a group of Conservative Party members who probably come from the wealthier elements of the population and are, to an extent, personally insulated against some of the economic downside that the population as a whole are suffering. So I don't think it's particularly surprising that you get a different sort of political emphasis appearing 
out of the House of Commons, yeah. which in a way, you know, is a healthy aspect of democracy. It's quite necessary because after all these people, they know their colleagues yeah, and they know who has the, who should command authority uh, and, and... Yeah, and, and strictly if you're an MP... Mm. You're meant to represent everyone in your constituency, including the people that voted against you. Yeah. But what was interesting was, and you say, you know, if we had taken the membership out of the equation, that the Tories perhaps would have ended up with Rishi Sunak. But what we saw was an interesting contest, didn't we? Because we had Boris Johnson forced out of power after dozens and dozens of resignation sparked off by the resignation of the Chancellor and the Health Secretary earlier this summer and then a string of resignations all across government, even down to junior ministers. And it got to the stage where there was not a government functioning because everyone had left their posts and he had no option but to resign. And it was his camp that felt so betrayed by Rishi Sunak's resignation that they their their modus operandi was to say, you must not back Rishi, anyone but Rishi. And that's kind of how Liz Truss ended up being the Boris candidate to back. And I've got to wonder why Boris Johnson wanted Liz Truss to be his successor. Well, a good question. But I guess if you looked across the candidates, maybe it was the one who... Boris, at a certain point in time, felt would be his continuity candidate, given that he was clearly reluctant to go. I, 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 I don't know enough about the personal mm -hmm. dynamics and relationships between the individuals, but mm -hmm. that you know, there's no question that we've been through a tough period. I mean, you, 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 Boris was ultimately rejected for his lack of integrity, mm. and I think that you cannot possibly have a prime minister in the long term whose integrity is so open to question it's one of the fundamentals do you think of government that you need you know leadership that shows integrity absolutely do you think our politics has become too much about personalities well i think it's a statement of modern day life I mean, we live in an environment which is so much dominated by social media, by podcasts, <laughs> by all these varying means of communication that personal dislikes, person, personalities are going to play a big role in, in political choice. And we all know, you know why Boris was such an attractive and remarkable political candidate, which he was. I just think it's a great shame that he lacked this essential quality of integrity. Well, I, I, have a, I have my own theory about Boris Johnson's electoral sort of golden ticket. And, and I think it's because he, you know, he was, he's, he was obviously very, very charismatic. He was a great media performer. He knows how to keep the, the attention, the, the, the glare of the media on him by saying controversial things, by being very flamboyant and colourful and a character that stands out from among all the other suits in Westminster. But his election campaigning tactic was, was always one that was a positive platform. 
And you contrast that to Jeremy Corbyn, who did not run on a positive platform. He ran on a platform that uh, that many have described as as being a sort of a politics of envy, a sort of us against them tribalism rather than selling a vision of what working people, of what the, the poorest and most disadvantaged in society, rather than selling them something they could aspire to, it was more about we, you know, we need to we need to take power and, and wealth and resources out from the rich and give it back to the poor, which is nothing nothing wrong with that style of politics, but it was it was a negative campaign and that was that was set against Boris's sort of positive campaign. And it almost doesn't matter, didn't matter that he didn't have a clear blueprint of what Brexit would look like or, or, or what the brass tax was going to be. He was selling a feeling and he was selling a, a, a feeling of being proud of Britain. And, you know, that's something that we've, we've seen with President Trump America first, injecting some positivity and, I wonder if that was maybe the secret to his success and people need something positive to look forward to in, in this day. Well, I think he conducted, Boris was able to conduct a very clever campaign which was focused on a few simple, almost, well, absolutely reduced political ideas like get mm. Brexit done mm. and then, you know, driving that bulldozer through a, do you remember a wall of packaging cases oh, yes. and yeah. things like that, which I guess had a basic appeal. But he's obviously a charismatic individual uh, who seemed to offer something new mm. and different. I'm, I think as part of this whole debate about Liz Truss, Boris, you have to bear in mind, you know, we've been through the most uh, divisive public debate mm. over Brexit and we're living still living through the aftermath to an extent and although it, it should be over and I think it is largely over uh, as an issue and it is accepted now by most of the political forces of significance um, in the country there is all that residue of bad feeling there is mm. that residue of anger and disagreement and I think it's reflected in the nature of our politics let's hope with the departure of Liz Truss who uh, strikes me as a, a pretty wooden politician mm. sorry my tummy is rumbling really <laughs> oh, okay. loud. I, didn't I didn't hear it it's a pretty wooden politician mm. um that you, you know we, we we sort of head back into calmer waters which we need to in a period when there's so much else happening in the world. But I think we also have to bear in mind that there are an awful lot of other countries at this moment in time who are not having a very happy time with their internal politics. Look at what's happening in France. Um, you know, Germany also very disruptive at the moment given the problems over energy policy and the future of you know, the German economy now that it can't rely on cheap Russian gas. So I mean, there are all sorts of issues mm. which play into this very fluid, dynamic state of politics. The UK has perhaps been one of the most extreme examples. But uh, thank goodness we can change our political leaders without... <laughs> 
having a revolution on the streets. Or we actually have a mechanisms for doing it. So in a way, it's a credit to British democracy that this can be done in such a straightforward fashion in the glaring light of publicity where there is no really hidden issue. Everybody mm. knows what's going on. I have to just go back to something you said and push against it slightly, which is you, you said that you think the Brexit issue is is some somewhat done and in the rearview mirror. And I I have to say, I don't think that's quite true. And uh, the resignation of, of the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, officially it was about protocol and emails that she sent from her personal email account. Uh, and then this incredibly stinging <laughs> with with the subtlety of uh, some, some, some political correspondent said on Twitter, with all the subtlety of a brick being thrown through a glass window, uh, taking, taking a stab at Liz Truss's in, in the direction of her government. And apparently what happened was an almighty row over immigration. And Suella Braverman is someone who has taken a very, very tough stance on immigration. She said recently that it was her dream. It was her Christmas dream to have a front page spread of the Telegraph on a flight to Rwanda carrying migrants away from the UK. And she got got, got very, very criticized for, for, that, for that remark. And Liz Truss Liz Truss's government has been making some sounds that uh, about about migration because, of course, you know the the one thing you want to do to boost growth in this country, well, controversially, the one thing you could do to really do that is to re-enter the single market. That's not going to happen. Uh, but they've sort of intimated that that the migration issue would have to be looked at in 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 order to help the economy. And that was apparently the, the real reason for, for Suella Braverman abandoning her post because it, it, it's a stance she, she cannot condone. And, and one of the main reasons a lot of people voted for Brexit was they wanted to take back control over their borders. And it was the, the, the principle of free movement, which, uh, which a lot of the, the country, a lot of the conservative electorate and a lot of the conservative parliamentary party had 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 a lot of issues with and so i think what we're seeing is th- th- these these parties that have long histories and long affiliations and and groupings of of your ideology being tested and strained against new dividing lines and brexit is one of them yeah it's just a, it's still a dividing line obviously the 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 migration issue or immigration is a key aspect but what i would say is to be fair to someone like Suella Braverman, there is illegal immigration and there is immigration. And I think that what any future government, whether it be Labour or Conservative, is driving at is legal immigration. That is admitting to the country those people who you know are going to make an economic contribution, who have the right profile in terms of employment because it's clear with record record low unemployment you know for example take the caring industry or take the hospitality industry there's a desperate need um, for extra employment but she did say she wanted net migration down not up well, not just illegal, not just illegal I, immigration, and, and yeah, the I, issue I, with the. Well, I think that this is an issue which you know. I, I think one has to be very careful about making predictions about numbers because mm. it, 
you're you're absolutely right. It's so closely linked to economic growth. So if you're going to have a policy to grow the economy, you're going to presumably increase employment. Mm. And if you really significantly increase employment and you haven't got the workforce to fill the gaps, mm. um, then you go out into, let's say, the international market and encourage people who have the right qualifications to come legally and work. And then uh, you allow them you know, to stay for a limited time or if they stay for a long time, then they become permanent residents and all of that. I think what people have objected to in the past was a completely um, free movement market. We have no idea who's coming into the country, how many people. And uh, I mean, I certainly recall a situation where the, you know, the number of people entering the UK from Eastern Europe uh, countries like you know Romania, Bulgaria, uh, Poland suffering massive drain of their population, and, and 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 this is going back a long time, but it's still probably the case. Their their governments not actually knowing where half their population has disappeared to. Well, a lot of them have you know come to the UK and during free movement come to the UK quite legally and I think the situation basically got out of control. It doesn't mean that we can't go back in that direction mm -hmm. but with a very strict um, control system which let's face it is what the US operates, yeah. what Canada operates, what Australia and they all depend on immigration. But what 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 confuses me is is how how that has been so weaponized and you know I remember Year, years and years ago when there were new uh, n new workers at, at our school who had recently come in from Poland and Romania and they was they were cooks they were they were cleaners they were janitors and it became very clear after speaking to them uh, very quickly that they were teachers they were lawyers oh, yeah, they had they were professional people and, and they were hugely qualified people back in their home countries and they were they were coming to the UK yes take it taking lower paid jobs until they learned good enough English to, to then work their way up what I don't understand is why that was seen as a negative here, and particularly when we have the context of we have an aging population, we have a growing number of retirees who live on their pensions, who rely on the state, who don't generate an income and therefore don't contribute tax, and we have a small, we have a shrinking workforce. And the answer is 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 to is to boost your working force population. So why was the arrival of qualified people from the EU why was that seen as such a bad thing when surely it was exactly look, what we needed? Yes, I agree, but if you look at it at the local level what you're talking about is housing, educational places for kids in schools, um, access you know, to local welfare arrangements, access to the NHS. Um, and I think there, there were, and probably still are, an awful lot of people who felt that, you know, they were indigenous locals mm. and that they should be at the front of the queue. And that newer, new arrivals, particularly, you know, just coming from, from anywhere, yeah. shouldn't be displacing them. I think people really feel resentful about that and and it, it it it's difficult to deal with because you know maybe the more well-off 
better adjusted members of society can mm. accept it and, and accommodate it. But I think an awful lot of people react really badly against those stresses and strains. And I think that was a problem. I think we've probably moved beyond it now. Mm. But I mean, I, think, I still think there's a huge number of people who really dislike seeing, you know, 50,000 mm. illegal, mostly young men of, in their 20s coming across the um, channel in, 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 in rubber dinghies and walking up the beach. Well, um, not, well, on on that, I think, I think people hate that. I, I I understand that people hate it, but but also is that not surely point to an issue with our system of claiming asylum? Because in in our system, you cannot claim asylum in the UK until you set foot in the UK. You can't you can't apply for asylum until you arrive here, and so surely these people are only doing. Well, that's not entirely true. You know, there are certain parts of the world where there are you can you 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 can make a claim to come to the UK, and of course you you can't come unless it's accepted. Yeah, but look, let's say you're a dissident in in some hostile country. You you really is it safe to go to march up to the British Embassy, go inside, and say I want to fill out an application? No, I'm not minimizing minimizing it. It's problematic. It is problematic. It is, and this politics issues get weaponized and it and it corrodes. But I think the majority of you know people, for example, coming across they're they're economic. They are economic migrants. I think if you if if you took a poll, you know, on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you would see that a, a fair proportion are economic. I'm sure that some of them are political yeah. uh, refugees. Well, of course they are. Some of them. Are. Well, I mean, the reason it. the reason why I wanted to go into it because I think it is one of the continuing dividing lines yeah. that the Conservative Party cannot seem to stitch itself together and come to a unanimous view about, and and that uh, along with issues like the European. Court of Human Rights and 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 the Court of Justice and all these other things that are surely going to continue to cause the Conservatives to have infighting. I mean, well, what do you, you think know, is maybe? But uh, you know, we have left the EU, so I do think that you know the common law is adequate, and we don't have to defer to the ECJ. Um, and I, I'm also sceptical about ECHR as well, the European Court of Human mm. Rights, because you know we 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 have our own legal mechanisms, um, and uh, I, I think having to defer legally beyond our sovereignty mm. has all sorts of problems. But then that's my personal view, and I'm mm. a pretty strong believer mm. in the integrity and, 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 and sovereignty of our own legal system. I mean, the common law is pretty powerful mm. uh, legal instrument, which has worked well over many centuries. And what do you make of Liz Truss and former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's, their plan to try to stimulate growth, what did you make of of the direction that they went? They went into. She's obviously admitted that it was a mistake that they went too fast and too far, and they spooked the markets. and And Kwasi Kwarteng has now gone, and he's he's been replaced by the Cameroonian Jeremy Hunt, who has taken the decision to rip up that that plan for growth, that that misnomered mini budget. I mean, we are headed for some really difficult economic times. There's forecasts of 
interest rates rising to 6% next year. I'm probably going to have to sell my flat. Uh, Inflation is more than 10%. A lot of people are putting life decisions on hold. They are... They don't know if they're going to be able to grow their business or even sustain their business or even if they will be able to afford to heat their homes. What, what did you make of their, of their economic plan? Was it, was it economically literate? Was it no, obviously it wasn't. Um, I think it aggravated an economic situation which is not specific to the UK. So it made something bad which was happening much worse. Mm. But I think looking at this from a European or a global perspective, we are at the end of the existence of the magic monic tree or whatever mm. you like. We, we've, we've had incredibly low interest rates. Mm. We've been through a pandemic, the most disruptive social and political event since World War II. Uh, Governments have printed money in order to, as it were, facilitate this difficult passage through the pandemic. Quantitative easing has been the accepted methodology. The idea that we were not going to have to pay for this. Um, okay, this this has happened more suddenly and more quickly than people expected, mm. partly stimulated by international events, particularly the invasion mm. of Ukraine, which has this impact on energy prices. And it, it's triggered a series of events which were going to happen anyway. The question was at what speed they happened. I mean, I think we could all anticipate that, you know, having had the government paying furlough to a significant proportion of the population, there would be a reckoning and that mm. we would have to pay for it. I think that the the idea of growth was a good one. Mm. And actually, if you listen to Starmer, on, in terms of unspecified labor economic policy, growth is very much on their agenda too. The question is how you implement it. Yeah. And obviously, uh, the, the, the massive expenditure, the increased debt that the this country, every country has accumulated now has to be taken account of in future budgeting and we've just seen this very clearly in you know Jeremy Hunt coming in as a safe pair of hands and saying we must do this we must do that right but you 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 say Jeremy Hunt is a safe pair of hands which really sort of illustrates that his predecessor was not a safe pair of hands and something that has always really struck me about Liz Truss and and those on on her side of, of the argument have f- for a long time railed against what they have decried as the orthodoxy, you know, these treasury officials, that these bean counters who are holding Britain back and and how to, for, for, for the UK to really prosper, it had to break free of this, this orthodoxy and orthodoxy is a dirty word and surely orthodoxy is there because there, there, there are systems in place by which we conduct our economy and to go outside of that too far, to be too radical, to do things that are unexpected, that is not going to be productive. I mean, you could say that it is 
orthodoxy that we drive on the left-hand side of the road in this country and you're sitting there thinking, oh, the traffic is mostly one but way. I want to they, drive on the right-hand side and save myself been, some time. But then you will crash if They you should do have been that. radical by stealth. I see. I think that you could see a program for growth which could have been progressive over time, which could have been accelerated as the economy recovered and expanded to, I think, to, to do it in the way that Kwasi Kwarteng presented it was over-gambling. I, I, I mean, I think Kwasi's a clever guy, uh, has a Cambridge PhD in economics, I believe, or in economic history. I'm not sure Oxbridge educations are, are quite the currency they used to be. Well, maybe, but he. this is quite a long time ago. He's, I have to point out St Andrews is, was found the best <laughs> university in the UK. Um, That's by where the you went. Times. Yes, it is. <laughs> Fabulous. But, I mean, so, but look, Kwasi is a clever guy, but I think he, he was a risk taker, a gambler. I think... Gambling with the country's Well, finance. yes, unfortunately. And, of course, you, you, the immediate market reaction was this doesn't play. Mm. Um, it's too far, mm. too fast, too quickly. And, I mean, the silly aspects to it, like cutting the 45% yeah. uh, rate of tracks, which would have benefited me. <laughs> but, on, brag. but on the other hand, I, I think uh, I had a, several conversations with people I know who, and we all said, this is ridiculous. We don't want it. Mm. We don't need it. We shouldn't have it. It's the wrong time. If the economy is booming and you have a, a different economic setting, then perhaps there's an argument for, for removing it. And of course, it was the 45% rate was stuck. Mm. It, it, it's Gordon Brown's legacy as prime minister. Yeah, that we have yeah. the forty-five. You know, he he inserted it just before he went out of office. A political time bomb. A, a time bomb, which yeah. the, the country's never managed to get rid of. So there is a case for getting rid of it, but not now. Not in that way. It was not a good idea, and uh, it it gave completely the wrong spin mm. to the mini budget, so called, which actually was a major budget. It wasn't a mini budget at all. Yeah. We're, we're running out of time, but one thing I do just want to briefly touch on is something that really has changed is is the the the, the growing role that the UK has had and is is having uh, perhaps as as a as a as a life boy to the prime ministers in distress, but stepping up to the plate when it comes to European security, and we also saw uh, you know who was it was it Steve, uh, Steve Steve Baker, who apologised yeah. for for not working with the EU enough on when it came to the issue of Northern Ireland, we're seeing actually a bit of more of a change that you know we may have left the EU, but the UK is wanting to be more internationally present and engaged with its neighbours. Well, that's exactly where we should be. Look, historically, the UK has never been an intimate part of a European alliance for a very long period of time. Mm. So if you look at it through a historical perspective, leaving the EU is, is perhaps less of a big deal than if you just look at it mm. in current terms. But the UK's position as a security defence power has always been crucial to European security. Mm. So the fact that Macron holds this political meeting uh, in Prague and invites many more countries than the member countries of the EU 
including the UK, I think is a very healthy mm. and sensible development. European security, both on the defence side and in pure security and intelligence terms, cannot function without the UK contribution. It's as simple as that. We are an essential element. So I think this is one of the good things. We're moving beyond the sort of immediate angst of Brexit, the, the sour, difficult Brexit negotiations, and the UK is being re-engaged in European security, but as a contributor, not in its capacity as an EU member state. But it, it, for me, it actually puts us in a stronger position because we have more room for manoeuvre. Look, we've been able to do stuff on Ukraine quickly uh, in quantity in a way which is much more profound and more successful than any other European power. Uh, and I think it, it, it shows the aspect of liberation. I think if there's a change of... Uh, uh, administration or change of control in the midterm elections in the United States, you will see um, a significant acceleration in UK progress towards a trade deal probably with the United States. So, I mean, the, 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 these flexibilities, I think, are a huge plus for us. Um, they're also a benefit to Europe once they get over the angst of us actually leaving the EU, which, of course, was a huge blow for the EU. You've got to mm. bear in mind, it wasn't just controversial here in the UK. It was resented by many Europeans who didn't like to think that we wouldn't be in there because we represented a particular strain of thinking mm. within the EU, which reflects views on the EU of other member states and they lose their closest ally. But we can still operate in conjunction with Europe in a very positive way when it comes to European security. So I'm pleased about that. Mm. I think it's good to leave on to, to finish on an optimistic note and to hopefully our nearest and dearest friends and partners abroad will bear with us. Great Britain under new management. Let's yeah, see well, we I think they will. They have been appalled at watching our internal politics, yeah. but I think the one thing you can say about Westminster is it functions. It is transparent. Mm. It has the mechanisms to make political shifts and changes and many other countries should be jealous of the fact that we have such a mature parliamentary democracy that can cope with really quite profound political crises, which is what's happening at the moment. Quick question, should we have a general election? Not yet. That's it for this edition of One Decision. If you enjoyed the podcast, why not like and subscribe? We drop new shows every Thursday. From me and the team, thanks for listening and see you next time.